Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buddery, and this is our first episode of 2022. And yes, I did have to write the year down because I knew I would say it wrong. Um, So very excited uh, to to be back uh, for more minute by minute breakdown of Jaws uh, and we do have a guest joining us this week um so welcome to the show Tim Hopkin who I have to mention uh, at time of recording is their actual birthday today so happy birthday Tim and uh, welcome to the show thank you very much thank you for having me of course of course and we are honored that you have chosen to to spend this most auspicious of days uh with us so hopefully we can make it a uh, a birthday to remember um we'll do our best anyway and uh yeah you get to uh answer the jaws question as all of our guests do um so what is it about jaws that you that you love so much and uh, that brought you to being on a minute by minute breakdown podcast about it well what i love it, it it's just it is the perfect movie, you know, like capital M movie. I think in America, every film is a movie. Mm. I think if you're uh, British, you have films <laughs> and then you have movies. Jaws is definitely a movie and it's the perfect example of that. Um, I think my uh, my Jaws story is probably a, a, an odd one for uh, certainly for someone from outside the US um, as a bit of background. When uh, I was younger, my dad worked for British Airways, um, and one of the perks that you got with that was uh, uh, sort of discounted air travel. So we went to America quite a lot. The first time I became aware of Jaws was as part of the uh, the Universal Studios backlot tour, um, which is probably oh, a, that's awesome. Probably the uh, the sort of a backwards way of doing it. So I knew about the Jaws bit of the Universal Backlot Tour, way before I'd ever seen the film. Um, I saw the film maybe, you know, when I was a teenager, and it, it's just the best. It is the best film. There's not much more you can say about it than that. <laughs> that is very cool and, and very unique in terms of uh, introduction to Jaws. Uh, we've not had anyone who came to Jaws uh, by going on the Universal Backlot tour before. So that is very, very cool. And uh, I have been on that uh, that tour as well, that ride, and can vouch for it being amazing. I had a great time <laughs> when I went on it, that being the highlight. I mean, the whole tour is great, but the, the Jaws bit is uh, is particularly excellent, I have to say. Um, Even so... when your guy screws up the fucking character names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, MJ will never let this go that he had a very bad uh, tour guide on his particular <laughs> on his particular go. Uh, who got the? Did he get the names the wrong way around or something? MJ, I know it was. He uh... called. Well, one he what he did is he tried to tell us that Hooper is the one who got eaten by the shark, 
But then he called him Hopper, the guy from Stranger Things, or the uh, grasshopper from A Bug's Life. <laughs> Either way, not a Jaws person. Unforgivable. <laughs> My favorite part of that story, which I think we've told on the podcast before, is just how, like, Kristen just knew that you were, like, potentially about to kick off. So just sort of really slowly just reaches across and is like, it's okay. Yeah, I was about to find a baseball, a sawed-off baseball bat and <laughs> smash his radio. Yeah. <laughs> the appropriate uh, thing to do, I think. I've had uh, not quite the same, but similar instances where someone has, uh, to quote Alan Partridge, kind of uh, gotten Jaws wrong, and I've just <laughs> wanted to, uh, yeah, do a quint and uh, <laughs> smash something with a baseball bat. Um, but let, let's get uh, stuck into talking about this week's scene um, because it's quite a long scene again and there's uh, plenty to talk about as always. Uh, so the timestamp of this week's scene is from 1 hour 39 minutes and 50 seconds through to 1 hour 41 minutes and 45 seconds, which is 1 minute and 55 seconds of the film. Uh, so this comes uh, right after uh, Quint has smashed said radio with the, the baseball bat. Uh, the shark has come back, so now they are in pursuit of the shark again. And particularly the bin- beginning bit of this scene is, uh, it's basically a swashbuckling adventure movie, uh, reflected very much in the score and uh, a really fun sort of chase scene as the the orca is heading after the, the shark. Um and we see uh, Quint manages to get a shot at the shark. Uh, Brody is firing his gun at it as well. Uh, and the shark manages to go back under again with two barrels uh, now attached to it. Um, we're into the the part of the film where it's quite difficult sometimes to pick out the which time is this that the shark has gone down and how many barrels do they currently have on them. But... Uh, to, to repeat again, this is when the shark has got two barrels on it and it goes down for the first time with those two barrels attached. Okay, we will hand over to you, Tim, first as our as our guest. Uh, what is it that you noticed uh, or liked about this scene in particular? Well, I, th- I think the word you just used, Sarah, uh, is not a, a word you'd necessarily associate with Jaws, but fun. This is the only part of the whole, uh, the fi- mm-hmm. whole film, particularly on the boat, where it seems like it's be quite fun to be there. They're having a good old time. Brody's got a smile, smiling from ear to ear. He's loving it. And, uh, you know, Quince being a, a, as you say, a swashbuckling pirate on the, on the bit of the, what, what's it called? I can't remember what the bit of the front of the boat's called. And it's, it's a fun old time, isn't it? It's a fun old time that everyone's having. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very, very much so. I think that the the element of fun is something that really comes across in this scene. And there's been moments of, of levity. We've seen it with the show me the way to go home. And prior to the seriousness of the Indianapolis speech, when they're comparing scars, there's been sort of moments in the film where it seems the characters are having fun. But I think this is, I think you're right, Tim. I think this is maybe the first example we've seen where the actual pursuit of the shark or trying to hunt down the shark seems like fun like it seems like they are all having a quite a good time and we can include Brody in that as well and I think I mean I've not 
in keeping tabs on how often Brody has smiled whilst out on the Orca, but it's not been that often. And probably the last time was, um, I guess, when they were singing Show Me The Way To Go Home as the last time he had something to smile about. But he there's a bit where he sort of like hangs around the side of the boat and he's actually got like a big old grin on his face and seems to be enjoying himself. And Hooper as well, like considering that I think we have to bear, you know, keep in the back of our mind that Hooper is someone who has, you know, works with sharks and is fascinated by sharks and loves sharks. But here we have Hooper really enjoying <laughs> this process of chasing down and, and hunting this shark. And there's a very interesting little role reversal almost that happens between Hooper and Quint that I wanted to to pick up mm-hmm. on. Um, So we get it in... Uh, there's two lines of dialogue that I want to draw attention to. So Hooper, when it's one of the bits when he's like on on top of the orca and they're pursuing the shark and he says, fast fish. And it's, I think, deliberately meant to sort of throw back to Quint in his opening speech when he calls the shark bad fish. Um, mm. So it's this very mm. sort of simple phrase or, or simplistic phrase and quite unlike stuff that hooper would would say it sounds very very quint <laughs> when you hear it or when you read it and then quint right at the end of this scene has like a, a i wrote in my notes like a hooper moment of awe where mm-hmm. he sort of just like stops in his tracks and hooper's in the background and it's when the shark has gone down with the two barrels and he just stands for a minute and goes it's incredible and i don't want to you know be that person but like uh, a bigger word than we've said than we've seen Quint use previously and is is how we have heard Hooper describe the shark when you know he's in awe of the shark he was calling it beautiful and darling like a you know a few scenes back and has that moment of just being completely in awe of it so I think it's super interesting that not only are we seeing Hooper and Quint working very very well together now and sort of operating as one but there is now this like weird overlap of their personalities and i think this happens when you spend long enough with a person you kind of pick up on some of their their mannerisms and the things that they say and it's it's hard not to do it if you talk to a person enough but yeah i just think it's really really interesting that we see it in this scene yeah this um This scene doesn't have a lot going on as far as character interactions, but Mm -hmm. it has a lot going on individually for each of the three leads. Um, And it's really, 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 really well put together in that regard. Um, I think we've talked about it uh, previously where they've sectioned the boat off into thirds and it's been, Mm. I think the first time it was Quint at the front. It it was the same positioning Quint at the front, Hooper at the helm and then Brody in the back, but they were all sulking. They were all kind of licking their wounds. uh, After kind of having a weird start with the, the, the barrels originally, but here Everyone's focused on the task at hand. Everyone's facing the same direction. Everyone's looking at the shark. Everyone's following the shark's movement. Everyone is is working in tandem to get the shark. Like everyone's fulfilling their job on the boat. Even Brody, like at the mm-hmm. beginning of the scene, uh, 
looks like he's having a good time, but he's also like trying to to see if the shark is going to come around. And when it does, he you know he uses his gun on it, and he has not been that confident in the past. So it shows a lot of growth from where we started to where we are. Uh, and it's only been what, probably 20 minutes since then, if that, maybe a little bit less. Um, so it, I think it shows how efficient the, the film is because it doesn't feel unnatural. Like it doesn't feel rushed at all. The pacing is perfect. Like, you know, we got the, the, the initial part where they got the barrels on it, but it was a little wonky and, and maybe could have gone better to hear like everyone is dead focused and everyone's listening to each other. Quint turns around and tells him to push the, the, uh, the boat faster and Hooper is like, it's not going to handle it. And Quint doesn't push back on it at all. Like it's the one time Quint doesn't argue with Hooper. He doesn't yell at him. He just accepts it as like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and Brody's not terrified. He's leaning out a little bit over the water. Uh, looks like, I mean, <laughs> he, he kind of looks like a dog enjoying the breeze when they stick their head out the window. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a really great kind of, uh, reversal of what happens earlier when they try to put the barrels on the shark. I think that's shown as well, really well, uh, how, when, uh, Quint's directing Hooper, you know, saying five degrees port. He doesn't call him boy or he, he say anything nasty to him. He's just, right, here we're going. Do this. Do what I'm asking you to do. And Hooper's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you're the captain, captain. And and he does it, you know. Mm. Yeah, they've they've clearly managed to find what sort of like works for them in terms of, of this relationship and making it work. And there is one more bit we get uh, in a little while where they sort of almost have like a physical altercation and it's sort of it's quite shocking when that happens because we've just seen these two sort of really start to bond and really particularly being able to form a, a good working relationship on on this boat at least and there were times like earlier in in the orca's journey where Quint did a lot of like barking orders at Hooper and Hooper didn't really want to want to take it he kind of had his own ideas and we saw what happened the last time with the barrels and and the the mess that happened there which is you know Hooper perhaps spending a bit too long trying to get the the tracker on there and that that messed up Quint's shot and you know this time like we spoke last week about that seamless movement that Quint does from like back of the boat to the front of the boat whilst like doing a pirouette and Hooper hands him the gun exactly the right moment so that he can be in the right place to make the shot and in this we see it's so satisfying because Quint is like sticking his arm out and saying you know go this way and then we see the the boat turning that way and Hooper is is listening and he's not being ordered around by Quint anymore Quint is guiding him and Hooper is following you know they are working they are working together as one and I think that's why that sort of observation about the you know them saying something that the other would say really emphasizes in this moment like just how good these two have gotten at working together and not to leave Brody out of this as well. I'm I'm glad you brought up the thing about the the sort of the thirds on the boat, MJ, because I had that in my in my notes as well. Mm -hmm. Like, there's been a lot of times where we sort of seen a 
a long shot and Quint has been on the, the front and Hooper at the top and Brody at the back and they've all been sort of like doing their own thing, you know, licking their wounds and staring off into the distance and sort of having their own thoughts. And in this, they're all kind of united in this in this common goal. And even Brody is involved in this as well. Like he's he's not sitting scared in the cabin of the orca anymore and he's, you know, recovered from his sort of altercation with Quint as well and is is strapping his gun on and is kind of ready to ready to go. Um as a side note, I just really like that he puts the belt on. Um because it's such a cop thing to do it's such a cop <laughs> thing to do. Like you could just hold the gun, but the fact that he's like putting his belt on and then putting the gun in the holster so he's gonna have it there where he needs it. Uh if if you know the shark comes his way i just think is a really is a really nice touch it's we're not sort of seeing brody adapt to life on the orca in the same way that that we're seeing hooper but he is finding his own way of bringing sort of what he's used to and his expertise onto it and i i really love that and that comparison with a, a dog sticking its head out the window is just really funny to me. <laughs> one, <laughs> one thing i one thing i wondered about him putting his gun on is this the first time he he Brody has put on his gun belt since they left New York. Mm. Maybe uh, since maybe they left you know, team, you mean? No, no, no. I th- I mean, since they mo- does he carry his gun regularly? I know he's an American policeman, so oh. guns. Mm. But <laughs> does he have his gun with him? You know, as a regular thing. Mm. I'm not sure. Uh, that's oh well that's, that's an, an interesting figure. point <laughs> are you trying to scroll back yeah i'm trying to mentally scroll back uh yeah. in my head to think when he's sort of in his uniform and he's walking around amity like early on if the, in the film if he has his gun with him but that's that's a good point i'm hoping in the time that i've been talking mj has looked it up but i don't know <laughs> it kind of doesn't look like it yeah Huh. I, I, my sort of thought is maybe yeah he you know, doesn't have they, a holster unless it's yeah when they first arrived in you know Amity how many ever months ago maybe for the first couple of weeks he wears his gun then realises there's no point in me wearing this gun I'm just wearing a gun for no reason and then maybe mm-hmm. so maybe now is the first time he's been in a situation where he thinks okay I might need this you know hmm yeah, there's there's no holster at all uh, on his belt in the early scenes of the movie that I'm scrubbing through. But also, um, there's it. It also couldn't be a shoulder holster because he tucks his his shirt in, so he wouldn't be able to reach in easily and grab it like under from underneath his shirt. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. Mm. That is an interesting point that I did not pick up on. So, but uh, yeah, I guess that that's part of you know what we're led to believe in Amity being so idyllic. You know, it it is. I am constantly just reminded of of Hot Fuzz whenever we talk about stuff like this. This you know, this is the safest place and nothing bad happens here yeah. and all the rest of it. And there's there's a lot of crossover weirdly between those two films and. And now sort of actually seeing Brody feel the need to to not just sort of like get get the gun out and have it in his hand, but like put his 
put his belt on. Like, this is the sort of... He's experiencing the danger like he would have experienced every day, probably, in in New York. And I guess that that that's taking me back to the moment where we first see him see him with the gun um which i think i pointed out on that episode it's the, the when we see the shooting star as well and he's sort of right up close to the camera and he's sort of like getting his gun out the bag and then sort of like looking around that makes thinking about it now in this way that makes that moment mm. i think even more significant because that sort of experience in that first bit of danger and he's yeah. like i got to arm myself for this and I think I also pointed out on that episode that he does use the gun because we were like, does he even use that gun? Like, why does he have it? But yeah, like he has spent months in Amity like as a police officer and has never felt the need to carry his gun this whole time. So interesting that he even like, that it's even in the bag, that he even has it with him, right? Yeah. Uh, That's a a huge deal. And that... uh, (laughs) That unlocks a lot about Brody and also Tim, like you were saying, like um, it goes so against the grain of an American police officer. Um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. There is sort of the 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 idyllic small town America chief who who doesn't wear a gun ever um, type of thing. Uh, it, it, it goes both ways. Um, but I mean, for for. A 70s movie, I think absolutely. I mean, if you compare this to other movie cops of the time, like French Connection and and stuff like that, like it's there's a lot of corruption and um, mm. you know crooked cops and movies are are really come into play in the 1970s. So by comparison, Brody's a bit of a Boy Scout. In the sense that he, you know, he's not crooked. He wants to do right by everyone. He's fighting for good. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's an anomaly, especially of this 19, 1970s kind of um, police uh, depictions. And that carries over into the 80s and doesn't really rehabilitate until the 90s, which is kind of strange since that's when, you know, Rodney King happens and, mm. uh, you know, a lot of the high level OJ stuff. And I mean, not that the cops weren't right to arrest OJ because he did it, but, but um, (laughs) like there was a political motivation behind that because the LAPD image in the public eye because of Rodney King was so tarnished to kind of go after this big fish as it were uh, comparison, not necessarily intended, but um, yeah. So you, you kind of see ebbs and flows and I think we're trending back towards the more corrupt uh cop stuff or black no cops whatsoever in anything uh type of deal just because of the way you know conversations around that have gone uh over the last couple years so it 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 really is interesting i think particularly with american cinema is you can kind of get a pulse on what the society feels about law enforcement like after 9-11 cops were awesome right because you know the nypd were the the hero cops who came in and saved the day um and you know, 21, geez Louise, 21 years on, it's, it's changed quite dramatically. And it's, it's this thing that's constantly in flux. Um, and I think you can do that with just about anything, uh, really, but it's, it's interesting to look at it from like a law enforcement perspective. Uh, and I am not 
particularly well qualified to talk about it beyond what I just said. So I will uh, <laughs> stop. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting how I've not really thought about the depiction of law, enfor- law enforcement in Jaws, I guess, in this way before, but interesting how media and particular film that we're talking about now sort of reflects what, you know, the sort of public think about uh about law enforcement at the time like you said mj like after 9 11 there were a lot of things that that came out that sort of like really put those people in a very very positive light you know they are the heroes they they saved they saved people's lives and that sort of thing and obviously that that is true and that did happen but we're seeing a very a very different environment now so it'd be interesting to see I guess, yeah, what, you know, what happens over the next few years in terms of like that, that depiction that we see in, in films, but you can see Jaws, like you said, as being sort of very, or Brody as being very against the grain in terms of the, the cops that we're used to seeing in the 1970s. And I don't want to overcomplicate things with the Roy Scheider cinematic universe that we've, uh, <laughs> we've come up with <laughs> the connecting French connection and this, um, but that is a, a very, very different uh, type of uh, cop that he's playing in, in that film compared to this. But yeah, this is, this is interesting. I had not thought about it, <laughs> thought about it in this way before. Thanks Tim for, for <laughs> bringing that up and blowing my tiny little mind. <laughs> also on that, uh, on that sort of, Brody as Boy Scout idea. I was watching on the uh, on the Blu-ray yesterday when I was doing my homework. Um, I was watching some of the deleted scenes, and there's a scene when uh, they're on the the little car ferry at the right at the beginning when um, mm-hmm. with uh, Mayor Vaughan and Brody says to Vaughan something along the effect of. You know, if you if you're gonna not listen to me, you should have just chosen Hendrix to be chief of police. And Mayor Vaughan, and Mayor Vaughan is to Brody is like, yeah, but you know he, you don't have the baggage that he has essentially. You know, you don't have the family connections and this and that and that sort of thing. So they're obvi- they're obviously going for that sort of that sort of approach both in the within the world of the film and the filmmakers of having you know. Here's this uh, this this cop from uh, out of town who's not who's not tied to the town in the same way that everyone else is, you know. Yeah, he's a he's a neutral third party. Um, <clears throat> that's really interesting um, because it's not like Hendrix is crooked, right? He's just kind of bumbling, and it's not that. <laughs> he's he's even a bad police officer. It's that I could totally understand how uh someone who is an islander that grew up you know it's you know when a crime happens in amity it's like well what did the suspect look like and they just go as joe you know like everyone knows who it is like um so i could definitely see how they could be a little more lenient if something if something truly like heinous happened right it's uh I mean, we saw it in real life that, uh, I don't know if we, I'm sure, I think we've talked about this on an episode semi-recently, uh, the movie Bernie, that was a real case where a guy killed an old woman and hid her body in a freezer, and, uh, he was so well-liked in the community, they had to try it in the next county over because Mm -hmm. everyone in the community was like, I don't care what Bernie did, he's, he's a great dude, so, uh... (laughs) 
I'm going to, I'm going to find him not guilty either way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This idea of like Brody as the, as the outsider in the town is, I think is, we were talking about that a lot in the, in the early part of the film. So it's interesting to sort of think about that even now in this, in this back half of the film. And like, obviously we get Jaws too, but if we didn't have that, you know, speculating about how Brody's life would be different post post this film like would you know having done this great and heroic thing would the townspeople sort of see him as uh you know less of an outsider or you know how quickly do they get through like new chiefs of polices in amity that's my other (laughs) other Mm. question as well like because if someone lives in a place long enough then they're no longer an outsider i mean he'll always not be an islander because as mrs taft helpfully tells us <laughs> you're only an islander if you're born on the island but the longer you spend in a place the more familiar you become with people and whether that sort of like changes how the people of amity see him in the future i don't know it's hard when you have the sequel because obviously that's like in the back of my mind but yeah an interesting thing to think about i guess um, I want to talk about, and I apologize in advance for this. Uh, I'm going to put on my film school dropout hat for a bit. Um, are you guys familiar with, uh, the, the modes of montage? I am not. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you guys know who Sergei Eisenstein is? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh he made battleship potemkin um oh yeah i've heard of that yep so battleship potemkin is like the it is film school 101 it is the the movie they show you when you take any intro to film class uh if they don't make you watch the whole film which they should because it's pretty good and it's not that long they will absolutely make you watch a sequence called the odessa steps sequence and that is because Almost every modern principle of film editing happens in the Odessa step sequence. And the reason for that is because since so it's a Soviet film, it's a Soviet propaganda film um, about the uh, the rise of the communists in, uh, in Russia, leading to the formation of the USSR post-World War uh, I. And uh, the, it's a, it, the, the film is about the Bolshevik Revolution. So... Uh, Basically what happened, Russia, at the time, not a super huge uh, global power and also kind of ravaged by World War I. Um, so not the most well-off country in the world. Um, so as such, their film stock wasn't super readily available. So there aren't a ton of um really early post-world war one films that happened and if they are they're pretty short because film stock was hard to come by but because of that um these soviet filmmakers were uh they 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 kind of inherited film prints from other parts of the world so like kind of really shitty prints of other films mm-hmm. and as such i want to say I want to say it was the, the work of Griffith. I don't know if it was necessarily Birth of a Nation, um, but they got a lot of Griffith stuff. And so they would watch those over and over again and kind of learn how he would edit because he 
for better or worse. Um, I, I don't really want to talk about Griffith that much or Birth of a Nation that much. Um, really kind of helped build out the foundation of uh, what a modern film would look like. And if you go back and watch Birth of a Nation, which I do not recommend you do because it's not uh, good and it's very racist. Um, but if you do go back and watch it, the editing is uh, very modern and it feels really, it feels really weird watching something that old um, that has such a modern kind of pace to it. Uh, once again, don't do that. But um, uh, so what would happen is the Soviet filmmakers would watch Birth of a Nation and the other works of Griffith, I think uh, Atonement, the next one, whatever, it doesn't matter. And uh, they would watch those, see how he would edit, in particular, the battle sequences. Um, and then they would go back and recut the film and they would just do this over and over again. And so they, the, 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 the Russian filmmakers came up with the idea of the montage. Um, so anything montage related, uh, is, uh, comes from the, the Soviet filmmakers in particular, Eisenstein, who was a film director, film editor, and, film theorist and so he came up with five methods of montage i know this sounds very like i'm giving a lecture and i apologize for that <laughs> but i think it's important to this scene uh in particular so uh there's a metric montage ow um there's a metric montage which is basically you join the lengths of shots together in time with um a piece of music. So a lot of Baby Driver, I'm just naming all the problematic movies today. A lot of Baby <laughs> Driver is a, a metric montage. Um, there's a rhythmic montage, which the actual length of the shot doesn't like mathematically come down to how long this piece of music is, but it kind of matches rhythmically. Um, and it still feels very like in time with the music. Um, and then there's tonal montage, which is based, is more based in emotion. So it's, it's, it helps carry the tone of whatever you're editing through. There's overtonal montage, which is uh, kind of all three of the previous ones wrapped into one. So it's set to music. It's pretty rhythmically on the music, but it also helps flesh out the characters. And there is intellectual montage, which is... Um, it's not really set in time with a piece of music and it's not really set in time with a larger uh, theme, but it could in the moment carry on a smaller theme that the film has within it. I would say, uh, uh, well, the example here is, is an apocalypse now when Kurtz gets killed. Uh, it's also mm -hmm. edited with the, the, the killing of the Buffalo in that I would say also Godfather, the, in the, in the, uh, in the church versus all the killings outside, uh, is is another form of intellectual montage. Anyway, I was thinking about that. Obviously, this sequence is a montage, right? It's it's largely uh, dialogue free, and uh, <clears throat> it's edited together very well uh, by Verna Fields. And I was kind of thinking about what mode of montage is this, and I think the the, the and here's the thing. There's mostly not right answers. Like uh, you heard me describe them. They're very, a lot of them are very esoteric and kind of open to interpretation, which I think is one of the genius things that Eisenstein did as far as uh, uh, keeping the definitions rigid, but also open to, to debate. Um, so 
I kind of think it's an overtonal montage in that it's set to music. It's not necessarily beat for beat on time with the music, but the, the editing of the shots really matches the the vibe of the music. And then uh, I think it's overtonal because it over it 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 it, it uh, underlines the theme of the group dynamics that we've been seeing. Right? It's it's mm-hmm. definitely drawing comparison to the earlier montage sequence of them putting the barrels in the shark and that is not as jaunty and fun as this is this is you know this is uh these three guys having the time of their lives chasing down this deadly beast and (laughs) with no real concern or knowledge of what's to come uh and the sacrifice that, that one of the, the ultimate sacrifice that one of them will have to make, as well as the sacrifice of the boat and kind of how stuff goes sideways with the shark cage. Like these guys in this moment are kind of living their best lives. And it goes to underscore what happens earlier with the the other barrels where it's, uh, it's a little dicey. It, it could have gone a lot better. And this is a sort of shot at redemption for them, but it's also really underscoring the kind of performing of the group dynamics that we're talking about. I think this is the most cohesive they move uh, throughout the entire film. And it really kind of brings some good closure to to everything that's kind of been going on as we ramp up to this big final showdown with the shark. Uh, So sorry, I talked a lot there, but I think it was really (laughs) important for this scene uh, Mm. to talk about that. Yeah, I wrote in my notes, I like the editing. So we, me and you, same page. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's that's my contribution. Um, I did want to point out um, a particular bit that I I really, really like, and I cannot talk about it as intelligently, but I'll I'll do my best. Um, There's a really great shot where... Quint is, he's got the gun, he's on the end of the the pulpit and the camera sort of swings around him and then it it cuts and then we see like we are, we are Quint basically and the camera swings again um, as the shark goes like underneath him and we see the shark sort of swimming pretty much directly underneath the the pulpit by Mm. by Quint. Um, It's just a really, really cool shot. I, I like something like that that feels like it has... It looks very simple and it feels like it is this just like one fluid movement like we're the shark and we're swinging past Quint and then we're Quint and the shark is going past him and we're looking down but the the technicality involved in that and actually getting that kind of lined up so perfectly is just a testament to how great the editing is in this in this film and to speak to your point MJ I'd not really thought thought about this scene like a montage before but it kind of is and Mm -hmm. the particularly jaunty tune that we get with it as well is is unlike the sort of other pieces of music that we that we hear in this film i think we hear a similar tune sort of at other at other points in the film but we sort of really get it here and as i had in, in my notes this sort of it's like a swashbuckling adventure, basically, yeah. this this portion of the film. Um, and this this moment where they are sort of like having fun is sort of, it sits in the, I like to call it the serious sandwich, because we've just had Quint 
you know, telling us about Indianapolis and everything that's happened around that. And then obviously we have Quince, Quince's death and, and Hooper's near miss um, coming up very, very soon as well. So just mm-hmm. even having a moment that's this light and this fun and this high energy so late in the film is just exceptional, really. I think most other films wouldn't sort of think to maybe include a bit that is this light and is this fun in the back half of the film when things are really getting serious. You know, they are pursuing this shark. They're getting real close to to catching it now. You know, they they both get several, well, Quint and Brody both get several shots actually at the shark. And let me check the breakdown. It's really not long until we're going to be talking about about Quint's death. It's, what, when does it happen? Uh, I mean, it's right at the end, isn't it? But, like, hour, hour 56-ish into the, into the film um, that it happens. So, yeah, we're, like, 15, 10, 15 minutes away from, from that happening now. So, this this montage scene as as we're calling it uh i really like just for being something very very different to what you would expect in this sort of late hour in the film just on the uh the the editing point that the the specific bit you you were talking about there sarah where the where i think it's when quint shoots the second barrel I'm fairly certain, I sort of went mm. back and I checked and I had a look, the shot of the dart going into the shark, I'm fairly sure is exactly the same shot, literally the same shot as when they do the first barrel, you know, however much earlier, which um, mm. I think to step outside the film, I, you know, we know every single shot of shark that they took, they had to put in the film so maybe that's one of those instances where they were like well we haven't got another shot of a dart going into the shark yes just mm-hmm. let's just use that one we've already got that would be good enough no one will ever notice and you don't notice unless you're watching every <laughs> watching it one minute at a time and comparing it you know <laughs> who would do that <laughs> <laughs> did you also notice yeah well um, did you also notice that a bit earlier when Quint's first out on the pulpit he takes his bandana off. Do you notice he takes his tooth mm. out as well? No. Oh. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Takes his bandana off and takes his tooth out and puts wow. it in his pocket. Well, Tim, you've really got me scrubbing uh, he, through this film. He sure does. <laughs> <laughs> he I'm, said, I'm, I'm... I need to look as piratey as possible <laughs> to intimidate this shark. He is, yeah, he is one, uh, yeah, <laughs> one step away from uh, tying that bandana around his eye and giving himself an eye patch <laughs> at this point in the film, isn't A he? A parrot I mean. comes out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've just gone back, not that I don't trust you, Tim, I absolutely do, but I have gone back to try and find that shot of the of the shark uh, the first time they get the barrel in, and you are 100% correct. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> But uh, wow! I mean, I I don't know if I'm just rusty as we've had a little break over Christmas, but I am really like scrubbing through this this film now. All these things that you're mentioning, Tim, I'm just like, well, I didn't I didn't see that. 
This is why <laughs> we like to have an outside perspective sometimes because <laughs> we spend so long uh, dissecting this film that sometimes mm. we miss things as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm now trying to find the tooth bit because I, I need to see this for myself. So uh... <laughs> It's like around 140. Okay. Let me uh, skip ahead. Oh, wow. I love... <laughs> See, I the thing I picked up in that moment is that he's really swaying on the end mm-hmm. of that pulpit, mm-hmm. right? So I wrote in my notes, I was just like, that uh that morning moonshine is really is really kicking in about this point because he does not look very steady out on that pulpit at all. I mean, the way the boat is moving and the speed and it's quite a narrow sort of plank of wood anyway, like I get it, but also it fits with the character that he would have had a a little uh, little drinky in the morning to uh to freshen him up as a yeah but he yeah. the closer they get to the shark like the more focused and less sloppy he seems to get like when he is actually lining up that shot he is that sort of quint that we see on on the beginning in the orca when he is laser focused and is is hitting the target and is doing what he needs to and yeah it's just interesting to see that uh particularly in that beginning bit like how much he is uh how much he is wobbling but also still, still makes the, the, shot. the you know he's yeah he's wobbling a lot and don't we believe that that's robert shaw's real fake tooth so he's taking some risks there if he one little fumble that tooth is gone <laughs> that tooth is literally in yeah the that is the ocean's tooth that the, if he if he messes up yeah <laughs> bruce is like oh got myself a got myself a little souvenir <laughs> yeah the ghost of Second. rose from the titanic is down there like is that a is that a tooth <laughs> is that a human tooth <laughs> yeah it's a uh, quince tooth is lying uh right at the bottom of the ocean with the with the heart of the ocean necklace isn't it <laughs> <laughs> sequels we didn't know we needed (laughs) (laughs) a diver goes into the ocean finds (laughs) a tooth and a necklace what connection do they have we've got it (laughs) what a dumb idea (laughs) you know it's it's probably this is the one time Bill Paxton being uh, no longer part of this world is probably a positive thing because he wouldn't have to hear <laughs> that dumb bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is true. <laughs> oh boy! Also, uh, shout out to us for making it sixty odd episodes in without referencing Titanic until now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, proud of us. <laughs> yeah, other very popular ocean-based movies, and uh, yeah. Titanic really hadn't come up. <laughs> I was just waiting. We were waiting for the appropriate moment, which just happened to be when <laughs> Quint's tooth may or may not have sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, to be with the <laughs> necklace. <sighs> wow. Um, hey, James me... Cameron, uh, I got an idea. Hit me up. When you're not busy filming a hundred sequels to Avatar, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, we got we've got your next hit right here. <laughs> um, I have a question for you, gentlemen. Um, in this bit, right at the end, 
uh, or sort of close to the end ish, the shark like comes past the camera. Does the shark roar? Is my question. I've, I've literally <laughs> got that written in my notes. Does the shark roar? I hate to raise the specter of uh, yes. Jaws the Revenge, <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm telling myself it's the sound of the water going whoosh like that to uh, to comfort my. Uh, Let me see. My Here, I got the I got the audio on right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I can say with a lot of confidence that it is absolutely just water rushing into the mouth of the shark. And I can say that because my very first film of 2022 was uh, an absolute masterpiece titled Ouija Shark. Uh, (laughs) Which, if you're wondering, is this film about a ghost shark summoned by a Ouija board? The answer is yes, obviously. And also, if you're wondering, is the tagline to this film, you're going to need a bigger board? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And also, if you're wondering, does the film end with a Kristen Falls style song about the titular Ouija shark? Yes, absolutely. Um, So in that film, uh, I know I sent Sarah the screenshot of it. Uh, but Tim, you've got to see this fucking shark, man. <laughs> it's, uh, I've not watched it yet, but you better believe it is high on my watch list. <laughs> no, come on. That's not a, that's not a real thing. <laughs> what do you mean? It's not a real shark. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's very obviously a real shark. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, I'm try- I'm uh, by the way, for some context, the context of... of that scene is, I, c- I couldn't. Oh, she's trying to, to share guess. her weed. She's trying to share her weed with the shark. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Tip of my tongue. Hmm. See, I. Yeah. Question. Mm. Um. <laughs> did they mean to summon a? ghost demon shark or no okay <laughs> but these things no, happen sometimes oh, right you know yeah 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 if i had a pound uh <laughs> <laughs> yep uh anyway all that said the shark roars constantly in ouija shark and it doesn't sound anything like the ouija shark so i'm gonna no. go ahead and say that that is definitively not a shark roar because I kicked my ear off by learning exactly what a, a, a shark roar sounds like. <laughs> so there, there is uh, so the 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 famous shark roaring in a Jaws film does happen in Jaws: The Revenge, but there is a bit in Jaws. I think it's again, is it the shark roaring? I don't think so because it's the bit when it gets blown up, basically. Um, so there's just kind of mm. like this sound that you that you hear from the shark at that point but i don't i mean i've never been blown up so i wouldn't be able to say this for certain but i'm pretty sure that shark's roaring days are over by that point uh as he is being blown up but it's a fun there's a fun little nod to um to duel in that bit because it's they use the same sound Mm. um i was about to say that yeah i think it's the same noise isn't it yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, the truck, um, when it sort of goes over the, the cliff in Duel, they reuse that sound um, in Duel. It's like the that. exact same sound. So, yeah. Um, which I think Spielberg got from the creature from the Black Lagoon as well, just as a little uh, universal monster movie nod mm. for, for Duel and then stole it from himself for, for Jaws. So, um, yeah, the this like <laughs> even though I wrote it in my notes, this like does the shark roar or not thing. I'm just like, is this a... <laughs> does it matter? I don't think it does personally, but um, I don't want to talk about Ouija Shark more than I should, <laughs> but what I will say is uh. If you've heard of Ouija Shark through me, which hopefully that's the only reason you've heard of this damn movie, uh, do not look anything else up about Ouija Shark. Just go watch it. It is available for free on Tubi in America. Uh, People outside of the States, I don't know. You just watch to find out. But it has the single greatest twist ending of any film I've ever seen. <laughs> there is a reveal look- in the last minutes of go ahead i'm just looking on the uh, imdb 1.8 out of 10 mm-hmm. is its current yeah. rating mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah my other advice is don't watch that shit alone because it would be the worst movie you've ever seen mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. but yeah. with with some friends uh real good time <laughs> I, as I told you, MJ, have watched many terrible shark films in my time, including Shark Exorcist, which I feel mm-hmm. like could be from the same cinematic universe as yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Ouija Shark. So I will definitely watch this and I will force Martin to watch it with me because I feel like watching this alone would make me lose the will to live. So, sure. We'll, uh... Uh, <laughs> by the way, 71 minutes. Oh, what a treat. <laughs> yeah, that was the best thing about when we did like a terrible shark movie marathon is that not one of those films was longer than 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nor should it have been. Yeah, which is how we managed to watch 16, count them, one six <laughs> in a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I also can also I just... Can I just tell you some of the uh-huh. under the more like this section uh, on the uh, on IMDb? <laughs> Please do. So we've got uh, <laughs> Sharkenstein, Attack of the oh. Jurassic Shark, Santa Jaws, <laughs> Shark Exorcist, <laughs> which uh, as you mentioned, seen Ghost it. Shark, <laughs> Clown Nado, like Shark Nado but clowns. I'm guessing mm-hmm. Sharktopus versus Whale Wolf. <laughs> uh, and then possibly my favourite, which is uh, Velocipasta, as in a pasta, as in a vicar. <laughs> it's hard to say that not in, <laughs> and make sense if you're not saying it in an American accent. Velociraptor, a pasta <laughs> from a church. Put them together. Uh, by well, the way, the, the tagline for the Velocipasta, a man of the claw. 
is there a way I can add all of these films in bulk to my letterboxed watch list? <laughs> Apart from the ones I have seen, which is more than I would care to admit uh, from that list that you, <laughs> you mentioned. Fucking whale wolf. Yeah. Shark films really, uh, they really peaked with Jaws, didn't they? Um, <laughs> it's only downhill from that point with a with a few exceptions, but wow, yeah. <laughs> I know what Sharktopus looks like. I gotta see what the whale wolf looks like. Mm-hmm. Have you seen or heard of uh, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus? That's another a mm-hmm. personal favorite of mine. Um, where a shark jumps out of the water and takes down a plane. <laughs> a... <laughs> okay, this is not real. This is this is a fake. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I. I'm scared and excited about what is about to be dropped into our Discord. <laughs> oh, my lord. <laughs> oh, no. It gets better. Ready? Are you ready? No, you're not. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. I have some questions. I've got some questions about the whale wolf. Uh-huh. They're mammals, so it's fine. Uh, I guess so, yeah. So it can, yeah, they breathe air. It doesn't need to be in the water. It's fine. Yeah. Carry on. No objections here. No notes. Uh, except, why does it have fins on its legs? <laughs> the first picture to, on its to, front legs to swim oh silly me of course yeah <laughs> sorry continue <laughs> by the way is it sharkenstein or is it dr sharkenstein's monster oh hang on <laughs> oh well, well i'm now on the page of sharktopus versus werewolf so i um... I hope it's Dr. Shark. <laughs> you know what's, monster. You know know what's being recommended for me? Okay. Mm. You know what's being recommended to me on the Sharkenstein IMDb page is obviously Sharkula, <laughs> uh, as well as Shark Encounters of the Third Kind, <laughs> and a shark film titled Amityville Island. Yeah. I'm on the same page as you now, and as someone who has uh, watched Jurassic Shark, I am intrigued by shark encounters of the third kind, but I can only imagine that it bears no resemblance to uh, Spielberg's masterpiece, uh, because Jurassic Shark certainly didn't. Uh, I have to say, 3.4 shark encounters of the third kind rating on IMDb, for a crappy shark film, that's a pretty good rating. So I mean, it has got one <laughs> hell of a poster. Oh my god! Jeez, why do I keep clicking on these? <laughs> <laughs> this is a you, a real oh, wormhole. Shit, when you guys. go down it, it's hard to come back. <laughs> uh, okay, hang on. Let me. The, oh, jeez, Louise! This is one hell of a way to come back. <laughs> 
<laughs> from the what? from the trailer of what? shark encounters <laughs> of the third kind i mean clearly uh the same production budget as uh the film it takes its name from i see no difference really i think that... so is so is that an alien <laughs> wearing gloves or are they his hands that's my question mm. to you <laughs> <laughs> the world may never know <laughs> i so this is one of the the many things that i love about terrible shark films and i may have said this on the pod before so apologies if i'm repeating myself but i love how i mean they are incredibly low budget these these films as i think any still from any of these (laughs) films will demonstrate but i love how they try to pass off uh just a small body of water as the ocean so i can only (laughs) imagine this lake that is behind this alien that i'm looking at now they refer to at some point as the ocean because in it was either jurassic shark or raiders of the lost shark they're interchangeable um they were were filming in what was essentially looked like a small puddle um and were like don't go in the ocean and it's like you can see the edges of this lake you can see that it is very clearly a lake um so i love the confidence (laughs) which they attack these films (laughs) and this gif that you have sent mj is deranged and i (laughs) love it (laughs) yeah for those of you listening at home i sent a gif of sharktopus uh body slamming whale wolf (laughs) yeah uh Move over Godzilla versus Kong. There's yeah. a new rivalry on the block. Let these two Lodge boys uh, fight, please. <laughs> I was going to try and, and uh, pull this back to Jaws somehow because this, this, this took a real turn. Uh, yeah, shit went sideways then... pretty quick after I brought up Weedy Shark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, as is bound to happen, but... um. I <laughs> really struggling now with that gift playing in the background. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I can't find the thing in my notes that I wanted to say. Uh, does anyone else have anything <laughs> that I wanted to mention in this scene? I have. I have one other thing, which nope, okay. isn't not specific oh. to this scene, but it, I just had this had this thought when I was watching it the other day. I'm not sure it's ever explained. And a lesser film would say at some point, oh, by the way, we're shooting the barrels into him because they're filled with air and he won't be able to stay underwater because the air will force him to the surface. But Jaws doesn't bother with that. It's, it trusts its audience to know barrels in the shark. It can't stay down. Done. Mm-hmm. Jaws, good film. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that about Jaws generally, just how it doesn't feel the need to explain itself at all really i mean there's some things there's some things that it does but it doesn't handhold and it just lets you figure these things out and it's really smart filmmaking because i mean i don't know how many hours of content we have got in this podcast so far but it's a lot 
Um, and you couldn't do this minute by minute breakdown format, I think, with just any film because there are so many films, like particularly blockbusters and, and thinking about these sort of like monster movies as well that really feel the need to explain themselves and not just that but over explain themselves as well like this is the exact reason why this thing is doing that thing and just not trusting the audience enough to enough to figure it out but you're right this whole this whole thing with the barrels i mean we see it we see it throughout and we're it, for, pretty early on really from from meeting quint as well it's just like he's clearly got this boat set up like how how he wants to these are the the techniques and the tools that he uses when he's out catching the sharks and it's a tried and tested method you know we see we know this is a method that works because we see quint's shack you know before we head out on the orca with them we we go into quint's house and we see that he is clearly very successful at what he does so that is sort of like planting that that idea in my mind in our mind sorry that whatever he is whatever he is going to do to try and catch this shark he's clearly very very good at it and we see we see the barrels and it's not even explained to it's not even explained to hooper or brody <laughs> it's like you know hook me up another barrel i'm gonna fire it into the shark this is what's gonna happen and we we can figure it out you know as the film goes on and particularly in these latter scenes as well it's just like oh why does the shark keep you know going under and, and coming coming back up again and it's that wonderful example of the sort of behind the scenes thing of, of the barrels being very useful to show the shark when they couldn't actually show the shark because of the shark not working um but also this is a technique that you would use to to catch a particularly large you know creature like a shark it's you know what else are you gonna i don't know i mean i'm not an expert but <laughs> what else are you gonna you're gonna use and it clearly works for it works for quint so yeah Jaws is perfect, uh, and I <laughs> I love that we don't get I mean, we don't get that explanation because we don't need it. You're you're <clears> completely <throat> right. Yeah. Well, I think two things. One, if you want a movie that doesn't explain anything, Ouija Shark. Two, um, <laughs> uh, I think it does say something like for as much as we're goofing on the terrible shark movies on this episode. It was kind of the only option they had because they just got it so right with the first one <laughs> um, <laughs> that it's just it's so hard to do a, a serious shark movie without comparisons to Jaws. Even like there was a meme on uh, I think I've mentioned this before. There was a meme on my other podcast to because The Shallows was like the best reviewed shark movie since Jaws, basically, uh, that like listeners which were mainly my friends were trying to get me to see the film and uh i wasn't anti the film by any means but to play into the meme i decided i was just gonna hate the shallows uh, i haven't seen it and i'm sure it's good i've heard it's good from lots of people who i trust including sarah but it was uh it was such a like hey this is like the first shark movie since jaws that people seem to actually like unironically um that it, 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 it was even plagued by so many comparisons to the film, even though, and I can tell you this pretty confidently without having seen the film, it's nothing like Jaws. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not close to the same premise. 
it's uh <laughs> it's yeah it's it's a completely different movie but jaws is so good that every other movie that has a shark in it, it just rests in its shadow so the people who make shark movies are like i don't know let's just make them as dumb as shit so um it, it was kind of the only way i feel like that genre could survive beyond how good jaws is yeah it's it's telling i think when a film markets itself as you know the best shark film like since jaws <laughs> like people are going to make those comparisons anyway and that was what people were saying about the shallows like you said people you know saying like oh actually this is like i know there's been all those crappy shark films but like this is actually a good one but i mean they they made the best one in 1975 i don't know what to tell you i don't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't no no amount of uh hybrid mutant creatures uh, is gonna, is going to make for a better shark film than jaws and it is because i mean uh, to bring it up again but jaws isn't about the shark it's about so much more than that and without laboring on that point too much because we've said it a lot of times but shark films now make it all about the shark and shallows to to find one comparison with jaws it is mm, you don't get the same amount of character work and development that you get in jaws but it is predominantly about that character fighting for survival but the shark plays mm. a very very big part in it you couldn't remove the shark from the equation and still have enough to you know sink your teeth into as it were but yeah hmm i i'm yeah it's fun to see people attempt to make a film as good <laughs> as jaws but <laughs> It's just never going to happen. So, <laughs> uh, did you guys have anything else to mention? I think we've we've covered a lot and more uh, mm. than we expected to cover. Ah, uh, no, I'm nothing good. for me. Okay. Alrighty. Uh, well, Tim, thank you so much for for joining us. I hope this has been a uh, enjoyable and uh, appropriately chaotic birthday <laughs> for you, uh, being part of the of the podcast. But um, yeah, we we really appreciate you coming on. So if you, I don't know if you have anything that uh, that you want to plug or let people know where they can find you on on social media or yeah, anything else like that. Uh, now now is your chance. I I have nothing in particular to plug. Um, I am I'm on Twitter. I I don't tend to tweet very much. I tend to just. Uh... I like a lot of tweets, mostly uh, ones that criticise the government. So I've had a busy couple of years um, with the, in that respect. Um, but I, th I think I'm at Tim Hopkin, if you're interested. Uh, but no, thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been a good time and a, a, and a good way to spend my birthday. <laughs> you are the first person who has... Uh been on the podcast on their birthday as we found out from our spotify stats there were people who listened to us on their birthday uh which was mind-blowing enough but uh this uh having a guest choose to spend their birthday recording with us is a a real honor so you you get that prize uh <laughs> there is not a physical mm. prize uh i could sing happy birthday to you but no one needs to hear that i've already <laughs> sung once on the podcast so <laughs> You can just imagine it, and I will send 
virtual cake your way uh, <laughs> to say uh, many happy returns on your on your birthday. Um, MJ, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Um, Real Perspective should have an episode about Cobra Kai 4 up soonish. I gotta finish it. <laughs> um, I have like nine episodes <laughs> left. But uh, yeah, that should be in your pod stuff soon. Um, an episode of the Beard Owl podcast that I edited will be out. Uh, if you're listening to this the day it came out today, it'll be out today. Um, they release on Fridays as well. It is an episode uh, about Weird Al fans 25 and younger. And it is, the kids are all right, as they say. Um, it's it's a real good time listening to, I think the youngest is seven or nine, something like that, up through uh, a 25-year-old fan who just released an EP of uh weird al covers which i know sounds insane since he's a parody artist but uh uh summer woods uh the chihuahua hat ep um i would like to plug that as well because it's very good and also i used some of the music for transition between the uh the the interviews so you'll get to hear that if you listen to the episode awesome uh also out today i think uh so the same day that this episode is going out i was on uh an episode of the uncut gems podcast and um, we had um jacob came on for an episode a little while ago and he's coming mm-hmm. back in a few weeks time as well um so they got me on to talk about sorcerer and I had a wonderful time, as you can imagine, because that is a film we have spoken about a lot on on this podcast. I memorably uh, badgered MJ into watching it until he watched it. Uh, and I will just continue to tell everyone uh, who hasn't watched Sorcerer to please watch Sorcerer because it is an incredible film. Um, so very, very grateful to the to them for having me on, giving me a platform to talk about my love for Roy Scheider generally uh, and that film uh, specifically. Lots of mentions to, to Jaws as well. Uh, I am now officially the the president of the Roy Scheider fan club, I believe, if anyone mm. would like to join, uh, hit me up. I guess uh, <laughs> um, that is nothing official uh, yet uh, until enough people slide into my DMs and then I make it a thing. Um, but yeah, definitely listen to that episode. Um, I will try and remember to to retweet it um, as well from the LJ fam account, but you can find that wherever you find your podcasts. Um, so give that a listen. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Um, I, we are at Jaws for a Minute. And you can follow us individually. I'm at Sarah Buttery and MJ is at MJSmith891. We are also on Finstagram, same handle, at Jaws for a Minute. Uh, and you can email us as well, which is how Tim got in touch with us. Jaws for a Minute at gmail.com if you want to send us anything there. You can rate, review and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can give us a rating on Spotify now. So we really appreciate that, um, particularly if it's five stars um but any uh rating or reviews just help other people find the show which we really do appreciate and on our twitter and our instagram we've got our link tree in our bio and there you can find all the rest of our stuff so our merchandise which you can buy through t public and redbubble uh the designer of those is at hex ghosts on twitter 
You can also buy our theme song, um, which is by Kristen Falls. She is at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. You can find the link to buy the song uh, on her Instagram as well as in our link tree. And our coffee page uh it is a three dollars or three pounds minimum donation um but that gets you a shout out on the show and uh entry into a draw to win piece of merch uh once we hit our donation goal so we really appreciate anyone um who who donates on there um and you will get a, a special mention on the show if you are kind enough to do that um do i do i should i still mention the yums mj is that uh mm-hmm I realised that was uh, earlier on in the notes, but I uh, <laughs> will hand over to the the little clip from Harley to mention uh, what it is he needs from you, the, the call to yums. Basically, I want to get as many people as possible to send me audio recordings of them singing yum, yum, yum. If, if you can do that, it doesn't matter what your range is, if you're higher, if you're lower than that, if whatever, whatever's comfortable for you please 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 do it uh you can email me it's fundamentalspod uh, at yahoo.com make sure i've got that right or you can message me on social media it doesn't matter how you record it if you've got professional setup you want to send me a wave file it's brilliant if you just record it on your phone and want to send it to me as an mp3 recording it doesn't matter whatever it is i would love to have it i would love for you to send it to me because what i would love to do is get as many recordings as possible of that, layer it up, and then make this as epic and as stupid as it deserves <laughs> to be. So I can only do it with your help. So you should definitely get involved uh, with that. I sent my audio clip over to Harley, hopefully is able to perform some kind of uh, studio wizardry on it to make my voice sound good. Uh, but definitely a fun thing to get involved with and I cannot wait to hear the finished song um, and yeah I think that is about everything for, for this week um, so until next time it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere <laughs>